0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of Britain Christian Church. We exist to be a lighthouse of hope to our community in OKC. Now, here's Pastor Mike. Before I reached out to your friend, if not, you still had plenty of time. But remember, there's two guidelines set. Number one, do not, do not, do not invite somebody that has a church home. That's not what this is all about. This is about reaching out to friends that do not know Christ or are believers but they don't have a church home invite those people to come the the success rate of you just reaching out to somebody that you know and telling them just like i did with larry i said hey larry i got an idea i wanted to invite you we're having friend day at our church on november the 5th would you be my friend and he said yes he said yes and your friend will say yes too so invite them don't Don't miss next Sunday. It's going to be absolutely wonderful. Uh, The other thing is I want to point out to you, there's a connection card in your bulletin. This connection card right here. If you are visiting with us this morning, we really, really try to make an effort to reach out and to say thank you and get to know you. Um, So if you would fill this out, put your name, your telephone number on there. Uh, These cards are given to me right after service and I will reach out to you. I won't sell this information to whomever, uh, some sweet company. I'll, I'll just call you and thank you. And along that same line, today, right after this service, all of you that we have contacted this week who have been visiting with us, we're having a luncheon. It's called a friend-to-friend friend luncheon. It will take place over in the gym right after this worship service. So right after this service, if you'll exit... Uh, Everybody will be over there waiting for you. We're going to have a great lunch together, and we'll get you out of here by 1 o'clock. All right. If you're looking at the back of your bulletin, you can see the scripture we're going to take a look at this morning. We all have issues. Amen? Amen? Some are more prominent, more public than others, but we all have our issues. It may be a health issue that no doctor can seem to figure out. When Fanny Crosby was only six weeks old, she had something wrong with her eye, and her mom and dad took her to a doctor, and the doctors treated her. They thought they were treating her, but what they actually did is is Fanny was blind for the rest of her life. It might be a relationship issue that no counselor can seem to solve. There are those of you here this morning, your marriage has been tangled and mangled. It seems like There's just this persistent problem that you and your mate can't seem to resolve. And you've been to counselor after counselor, and yet you are still trying to resolve it to this day. Others, of you have a spouse or a child or a parent who has addiction issues, and it has put such a strain on your heart, your mind, and your soul. Or it may be a sin issue, what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 calls a besetting sin. Something that we struggle with and we fight, and yet it seems like we can never conquer it and put it to death for good. Pastor John Piper, when he was 64 years old, he took eight months away from the pulpit at the church that he had pastored for many, many years. He took eight months away from preaching so that he could deal with what he called an ugly cluster of of selfishness, anger, self-pity, quickness to blame, and sullenness. In these struggles of life, we cry out to the Lord like David in Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And if we let our emotions run unchecked, then we can slide into feeling like God has forgotten us or that God doesn't care about us or that he is unfair in allowing you and me to suffer such pain in life. Why do we have to suffer when people that we know, people who do not love him anything like we love him, they just seem to slide right through life down that primrose path? A life full of comfort, pleasure, and ease. Well, it has been my prayer all week long that our scripture this morning will give us another perspective on that thorny path of life. Let's read our scripture and then we'll see what we can learn. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1, read along with me. Paul says, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows. He was caught up to paradise and he heard inexpressible things. Things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I say or do, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, That is why, for Christ's sake, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Last week, we were studying 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we began what many Bible teachers have called Paul's foolish speech. Paul said to shine the spotlight on himself was foolish, it was utter foolishness, and he just wouldn't do it. He came to speak about Jesus Christ and him crucified because Jesus and his death for us is the hope of all of the world. Speaking about himself, except for his weaknesses, it would just be a waste of time. It would be utter foolishness. And then he did it. And then Paul did it. Paul was backed into a corner. The false teachers in Corinth, they were all about having all the spotlights focused on them and they were being successful in drawing the hearts of the people of the church away to this false teaching. So Paul came out swinging. Or so it appears when we start reading in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 22, Paul says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? Guess what? So am I are they servants of Christ? I am losing my mind, but I am more so. What's interesting is that after this verse, these two verses, instead of Paul listing all of his accomplishments for the kingdom of God, Paul begins to list the number of times that he's been beaten, that he's been jailed, that he's been almost stoned to death. And that he's been run out of town because of his unwavering commitment to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our scripture for this morning, Paul goes back to boasting once again. This time, he's going to speak about visions and revelations. And there's no doubt that the false teachers, they had fantastic stories about their encounters, their experiences with God that were mesmerizing They were captivating they kept people sitting on the edge of their seat well this shouldn't be too hard for us to understand since the people of our day they continued to be mesmerized and captivated by the stories of people that have had these unbelievable encounters with god encounters that are beyond the rest of us mere mortals well here's what's interesting about paul he never wrote about any of his visions or revelations except in this one place, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Did you notice how Paul told the story when he did talk about this this revelation, this vision, this experience of his? Did you notice how he wrote about it? I want to read the verses again and see if you can pick why his telling of this story is so odd. Paul says, I must go on boasting. Although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows. He was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things. Things that no one is permitted to tell. Did you notice it? What's odd about Paul's telling of the story? He says, I know a man in Christ. I mean, he doesn't even claim this incredible story for himself. He speaks of himself in the third person as he tells the story. Let me tell you, if something like this happened to you or me, there would be no third person. (laughs) We would go around town saying, hey, what did you do yesterday to bait them? Oh, I don't know. I hung out with my family. I went to the store. What did you do? Oh, I was in heaven with the Lord. <laughs> we, would, we would put out bid, uh, lines to Simon and Schuster and Random House and Harper Collins. We would get them in a bidding war for the book rights for our story. We would find somebody that knew Martin Scorsese because a movie has to be made. And then... We would run conferences all over the United States of America, how you too can experience the third heaven. And we would charge a pretty penny for it. Paul, he doesn't even claim the story for himself. He tells it like it's somebody that he knew. Paul to, he doesn't want to talk about it. But he feels that he must because of what the false teachers are doing in Corinth. Here's another interesting thing about what Paul has written in these verses. He tells about a man who was caught up to the third heaven, a man who saw inexpressible things, a man who heard unbelievable things but was not permitted to tell about it, and Paul didn't tell us anything. He tells us nothing other than the fact that this man is not allowed to speak about it. Why is he not permitted to tell? Well, before we get to that, let me let let you know Paul had other visions and revelations. Did you know that? He had other visions and revelations, but he never wrote about them in any of his letters to New Testament churches. The only reason we know about them is because Paul's traveling companion, Dr. Luke, wrote about them in the Acts of the Apostles. Let me share just a few with you. In Acts 22, verses 6-11, Paul had a vision of Jesus while he was on the road to Damascus. And Paul, after he was blinded by, this, by, by seeing Jesus, he was in Damascus and he was praying when he had a vision of a man named Ananias who would come and lay hands on him and restore his sight. I know that because in Acts chapter 9, in Acts chapter 9, verse 11, we read, where God went to Ananias, the Lord told Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And then, just a little bit later, in Acts chapter 16 and verses 9 and 10, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia who came to him and begged him to please come and share the gospel with the people in Macedonia. In verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And then in Acts chapter 18, when Paul first arrived in Corinth, The letter that we're studying his second letter to that church but back up and when paul first arrived there before there was ever a church before there was ever a follower of jesus before paul planted that church when paul first arrived and was confronted with opposition from the jump the lord came to paul and he said do not be afraid keep on speaking Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Luke, who was Paul's traveling companion and friend, tells us about these experiences, but Paul never once, not one single time, does he mention any of these visions or revelations except what we just read in 2 Corinthians 12? Don't you think it would have been very convenient when Paul was going through all of the trouble to remind the people of what he had heard the Lord speak to him? Hey, I know you knuckleheads are giving me a hard time, but guess what the Lord told me? But he didn't do it. He doesn't do it. Why is that? Why are we so prone to share these these, these experiences that we have with the Lord? And Paul was so reluctant to do so. Well, John Calvin says this. This thing happened for Paul's own sake. For a man who had awaiting him troubles hard enough to break a thousand hearts needed to be strengthened. In a special way. To keep him from giving way. And to help him to persevere undaunted. Why did the Lord give Paul these understandings? It was for Paul. It was for Paul. Paul kept his special visions and revelations to himself to ensure that the authority of the church would not be based on ecstatic experiences, but on the cross. On the cross. Paul was quick to share with the church the church in Corinth about his conversion he i mean he he shared with them let me let me just list them for you 1 Corinthians 9 1 Corinthians 15 2 Corinthians 2 2 Corinthians 3 2 Corinthians 4 why was paul so quick to point out his great need and his great savior because of the cross the cross. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is the bedrock of the church, the gathered body of sinners like you and me who have been saved by our great Savior and not ecstatic experiences. Paul said, I'll boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than what is warranted by what I do and what I say. Paul said he didn't want people to think more of him because he had these revelations and visions. He wanted people to pay attention to what he did and what he said, what he taught, what he taught. Boy, what a powerful model for you and me. As Christ ambassadors all over this city. What a powerful model for you and me. Folks, we are so caught up in the show. The show. We got to put on a show for everybody, and we don't give a moment's thought to substance, to the bedrock of who we are in Christ. Forget about who you are in the city. You may be a big fish in a really small pond in Oklahoma City or even in the United States. Let me tell you. Now go stand next to Jesus, Hoss. Tell me how big you are now. You were a sinner like the lowliest of us in this sanctuary. But praise God, our great Savior reaches down to the lowest. With the same grace that he reaches to the highest. Because at the foot of the cross. It is all level ground. All level ground. Well let's move on. Because I want to have plenty of time for us to talk about. Paul's experience of the thorn in his flesh. Look at verse 7. Paul writes therefore. In order to keep me from becoming what. I was given. A thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan, to pound me. Your Bible may say torment me. The Greek word means to pound with fist. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. <clears throat> that is why for Christ's sake, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am pounded down to the ground, I'm strong. I mentioned to you earlier, if you and I had an experience like Paul of being caught up to the third heaven, we'd tell everybody that wouldn't be the only thing that would happen following our experience. We would also become very prideful. We'd become very self-righteous. And you know, evidently Paul was no different than you or me. That's good news. I've heard many people speak about Paul's thorn in the flesh. I've read articles and sermons about How we can learn how to deal with our thorn in the flesh by how Paul dealt with with his thorn in the flesh. But I rarely hear people talk about why Paul had this thorn in the flesh. Did you notice it? Paul, Paul tells us that because of the great experience of being caught up into the third heaven and seeing and hearing things that we can't even imagine Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. It's interesting, the Greek word that's translated thorn in the New International Version, it's also translated as steak. And I don't mean the kind you like medium rare. So it's not just a little irritation he's talking about. It's something prominent. It's something persistent. Paul tells us because of his great experiences with the Lord, he was given this thorn. Paul was given this thorn to keep him from becoming prideful or conceited. Did you notice that? Paul, like all of us, he had a propensity to pride. You know, I I heard somebody say one time, pride is that insidious, unique disease that makes everybody sick except the person who has it. There's a lot of truth in that saying. Paul's thorn in the flesh was persistent. Paul had been caught up into the third heaven 14 years prior to him writing this letter. And he said he was given a thorn to keep him from becoming conceited. So Paul had been dealing with this thorn in the flesh for a long time. And and I assume he would deal with it the rest of his life because it was there for a purpose to keep him from becoming prideful. That thorn had been with Paul a long, long time. Most people want to know what was the nature of Paul's thorn. What exactly was it? I'll tell you. I'll give you a simple, quick answer. I don't know. I don't have any idea. And anybody that tells you they do know what Paul's thorn was, they're just making it up. Because there's nothing in Scripture where Paul identifies what that thorn in the flesh was. Some people think it was a physical ailment. We know in Galatians chapter 4, Paul wrote to the church and he said, I know that my illness was a burden to you as a church. Other people think It was some kind of psychological ailment like anxiety or depression because of the constant pressure that was on him, the opposition that he dealt with day in and day out. The truth of the matter is we simply don't know. But that's a good thing. It's a good thing that you and I don't know. Because whatever your thorn may be, whatever my thorn may be, we can learn from Paul in the way that he understood his own thorn. I want us to pay attention to three things. You might want to write these down. There's space on the back of your bulletin. I want us to pay attention to three things. First of all, Paul was given the thorn. Bible teachers call this the divine passive. I love that phrase. And the reason it's called the divine passive is because if you read the scripture, God is not named as the one who gave him the thorn. Paul says, I was given a thorn in the flesh. But there's no mistake where he got that thorn. Whatever issue it was he was dealing with, it was given to him by God. And notice this. God was the giver of the visions in the revelation. And God was the giver of the thorn. Don't let go of either one. David Garland writes, Paul's thorn was an effective cure for any mistaken euphoria that visions might evoke. God wanted Paul to remain humble and fully aware of his own weakness. That thorn punctured any pride that might surge within him because of his grand entry into heaven. And the result was that he dealt with others with a meekness and a gentleness of Christ rather than with the arrogant puffery of satan paul's thorn was a constant reminder of god's grace and of god's power working through paul that that broken pot that jar of clay that he was paul was constantly keenly aware of his own weakness because of that thorn how about you does your thorn that thing that you can't solve That relationship that you can't mend, that you can't seem to work out, that issue that keeps you up at night, that sin that plagues you, do you see it as nothing more than an irritation, as a source of persistent pain that you will never shake, you will never be free of, or do you see it as a thorn given? Ooh, I knew you wouldn't like that. You would much rather some prosperity preacher stand before you and tell you just claim it in the name of Jesus, wouldn't you? Thank you, Karen. Because I know there's some others that were sitting on their hands. Well, now that you mention it, what we need is the truth. You see, How you see it, whatever that it is in your life, how you see it, how you understand it makes all the difference in the world in how you deal with it. And you can deal with it in one of two ways. God, what are you doing in my life? God, where are you? And that question, God, I know you're working. I know you promised to never leave me or forsake me. You know the scripture Morgan just read to us? Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We may not understand what God is doing, but we can trust him. Amen. Or you can shake your fist at the heavens and become bitter with every shake. And I know people that are in both places. You know, it's obvious from what Paul wrote. He didn't enjoy the thorn, right? I mean, he, he, he says in verse 8, he prayed three times for the Lord to remove it. And most Bible teachers believe that phrase three times. It's not a literal three times. It's a persistent urgency in prayer. God, would you take this away? He didn't believe. He believed it was holding back God's best for his life initially initially we have no idea at what point in that 14 year journey that paul began to understand that as painful and as troublesome as that thorn was it was a thorn that he desperately needed did you hear that as troublesome and painful as that thorn was He came to understand it was a thorn that he needed. The second thing we need to notice is that Paul says the thorn was a messenger from Satan. Now, that's very hard for many people to understand. It's very confusing because I thought God and Satan were on opposing teams. I thought God and Satan were battling out with one another over your life, over your future, over your destiny. When you hear people talking like that, It's easy to be led to believe that there are two equal unseen powers at work in the universe, and we'll wait and see who wins. Let me tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. Now, it is true. Satan desires nothing more than to thwart God's plan for your life. Satan desires nothing more. In John chapter 10... Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. So that's Satan's goal for you. But let me tell you, he's not capable of doing that. Amen. If you're a follower of Jesus, he holds you in his hand. He loves you with an everlasting love. Satan is a chained dog on a short leash. And there's a great illustration of that in the book of Job. You know, Job is serving God. One day, Satan goes, Hey, yeah, there's a reason he's serving you. Look how you've blessed him. Let me put him to the test. See if he still praises you then. God says, Okay. You can do this, but you can't do that. And Job is tested. There is nothing that happened in Job's life that didn't first filter through the fingers of God. And in the end, Satan has proved a liar, he's proved false, and Job has proved faithful. There's another example I want you to take note of in Luke 22, where God used Satan's ill intent for one of his servants to bring about good. Jesus is speaking to Simon Peter when he says, Simon, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison and to die for you, Lord. Jesus said, I'll tell you, Peter, for the rooster crows three times. You're going to deny three times that you even know me. Did you notice how confident Peter was in himself? Lord. (laughs) He's ready to take a bullet for Jesus, right? He wouldn't even stand up to a servant girl that said, weren't you with him? Oh, no, I don't know. Mm." Satan would sift him like wheat. And he would be humbled. But you know what happened? Peter came to the end of his life and he was convicted because he would not renounce his faith in Jesus. And they sentenced him to be executed just like Jesus. And Peter said, Please, no. I am not worthy to die like my Lord. Would you crucify me upside down? You see, Satan is a chained dog on a short leash, God is sovereign. You can trust him. Last of all, I want you to notice that the answer that Paul was given was not the answer he was hoping for, but it was what was best for him. Listen to this. But he said to me, after Paul asked three times, after Paul kept pleading, Lord, take this away from me, take it away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. God answered Paul's prayer. He did answer Paul's prayer, but in a way that was far more powerful and far more beneficial than simply removing the thorn from Paul's life. You see, God promised to provide the grace for Paul to bear up under that thorn for the rest of his life. And he promised Paul that he would provide for him the power that would make him strong in the midst of his own weakness. God's power is made perfect, not just in Paul's weakness, but in your weakness in my weakness. We don't even want to entertain that thought of embracing our weakness. But let me tell you, it is only in you pulling back the curtain and recognizing your weakness for what it is my weakness. Not, my mama wasn't nice to me when I was a kid, or my dad did this, or my boss said that. Excuse, excuse, excuse. No, this is my weakness. It is only then that His strength will make us strong. And you know what's interesting? It's not a one-time thing. David Garland writes, the verb perfected, you know, where he says, my strength is perfected in weakness. That is a verb in the present tense. This present tense indicates it is not a finished product. It is still in the process of being made perfect. The answer from the Lord helps Paul to regard that thorn as no longer as the vexing mischief of Satan. Instead, Paul recognizes that through it, the grace of God operates more effectively. The thorn makes him acutely aware of his own inadequacy and prevents him from thinking that he is equal to the task alone. It prevents a bloated ego from crowding out the power of God in his life. Paul now reveals why he is so willing to boast in his weakness rather than to pray for its removal. His weakness becomes the vehicle by which God's grace and Christ's power is most fully manifested to himself and to others. Oh, how I pray that God will give you and me the reassurance that we are not alone. We are not alone when we walk the thorny path of life. Just within the last couple of weeks, I had a conversation with a lady that typifies the number one problem that I've seen over the years that people have with the Lord. She's coming to Alpha, and she's about my age. Brilliant lady, wonderful lady. And we got together, and she said, I want to talk to you. It's the problem of pain. If God loves me, then why am I going through this? Boy, it's the question, if you haven't asked it, you will. And I pray that the Lord will give you and I eyes to see. We are never alone when we walk that thorny path. He is with us. Matter of fact, he does his greatest work in our greatest weakness. Not when you're strong, when you're strong. When you run across the end zone and score the touchdown, I want to praise God. Well, of course you do. But when we fumble all of life and everybody else is ashamed of us, he draws near in our weakness. I, uh, I don't know if you know who Corey Ten Boom is. She's, she's a, a huge hero of mine. She's been dead for a long, long time. But in 1944, Corrie Tinboom and her sister Betsy were in Ravensbrück, a German concentration camp because her family hid Jews. And in the 10 months that they were there in Ravensbrück, they endured unimaginable suffering, hunger, nakedness, being mocked and humiliated, being beaten, denied medical care, back-breaking labor, Solitary confinement, rape, being packed with 80 women in a boxcar for three days with no food and water. Sleeping on the cold, wet ground and later in lice and flea-infested barracks. Betsy praised God for the fleas because it kept the guards away. And witnessing the torture of other prisoners. And all the while in the backdrop of that concentration camp were the smokestacks of Ravensbrook. Where Jews were literally being incinerated, burned to death. Betsy wouldn't leave prison alive. She would die there at Ravensbrook. Corey, because of a clerical error, because of the providence of God, a clerical error was made and Corey was released. And she spent the rest of her life sharing the gospel all over the world and how God was at work in Ravensbrook. This is what she wrote about a conversation she had with her sister. She says, often I've heard people say how good God is. We prayed that it would not rain for our church picnic and look at the lovely weather. Yes, God is good when he sends good weather, but God was also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. I remember one occasion when I was very discouraged there. Everything around us was dark and there was darkness in my heart. I remember telling Betsy that I thought God had forgotten us. No, Corey, said Betsy, he has not forgotten us. Remember his word, Corey, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. There's an ocean of God's love available. There's plenty for everyone. May God grant you never to doubt that victorious love, whatever the circumstance. Man, what a powerful word. Jesus loves you. He, I'm not talking about collectively, I'm talking about he loves you. He loves you. Every, I wish I had the time to walk around and point to every single one of you. Sometimes we get lost in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. No, 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 no. For God so loved you, He gave His only begotten Son, so that you would not perish, but you would have eternal life. You. The same one who knit you together in your mother's womb is the same one who died on Calvary's cross when you were shaking your fist at the heavens in rebellion. That's how much he loves you. Let me tell you, he will not waste one tear that falls from your cheek. He will never be blindsided by your pain. He is with you. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You never have to wonder, where is God when it hurts? You only need to look to the cross. He knows your pain. And he's not knowing it from a distance. He's closer than your next breath. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, let me tell you, that's where it all begins. Jesus died for you. But let me tell you, you can cross your arms and you can walk away. Don't walk away. Come to the front. Give me your hand as you give Jesus your heart. Jesus said, if you will confess me before men, then I will confess you before my Father. But if you deny me before men, then I will deny you before my Father. If you have never made a profession of faith, to ask Jesus to come into your life, I want to invite you to do that this morning, right now. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, but you're looking for a church home, some place where you can plug in with brothers and sisters in Christ to grow together, to serve alongside of one another, I want to invite you to come forward. Man, what a blessing it is to make a commitment to the Lord to be involved in his church. Just come. If you're in need of prayer, please come as we stand to sing this song of invitation. Thanks for listening today. You can watch past sermons on our YouTube channel at Britain Church. We would love to see you on Sunday morning for one of our services at 8.30 or 10.40. Have a great week.